How can you achieve and maintain business growth? Harvard Business School Executive Education is now accepting applications for a new program, Driving Profitable Growth. Taking place in Boston from October 25th through the 28th, this program focuses on business expansion and organizational growth strategies that can lead your company into the future. Learn more about this three-day program for senior leaders by visiting hbs.me growth. That's hbs.me growth. You are Locked On the NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. It is Locked On NBA, a playoff special edition with two of your favorites. Van Rack Sports, Zach Harper joins us and ESPN insider Kevin Pelton to preview the West. It is Locked On NBA. I'm David Locke, host of Locked On NBA. Radio Voice of the Utah Jazz, founder of the Locked On Podcast Network. Make sure you have subscribed to your favorite NBA team's local podcast. Plus, anytime the big stories are breaking, the Rob Hennigan firing, Locked On Magic, Phillip's going to have that covered fabulously. Big stories in the NBA happen. Go to the Locked On Podcast and get the local feel of it to know what's happening and get the inside scoop. So Locked On Magic today with... uh Philip Rossman Reich will do a nice job on the Rob Hennigan firing in Orlando, plus all the playoff previews coming everyone's direction. We'll have those for you, uh, as well on the Locked On channel. Zach Harper works at FanRag Sports now. He was at CBS Sportsline. He does great work. And I'm not sure FanRag Sports is always the first place you stop for things, but you should because they do super work and Zach's writings are fun and they're interesting and uh, FanRag Sports is a really well-done site, so add that, bookmark it, do whatever you do in this day and age to add that. Then Kevin Pelton will talk the Western Conference with us as well. We'll start East with and then go to uh, West with Zach. We do not have sponsors for today's program because uh, we just threw it together and thought you deserved it for the NBA playoffs. I do want to ask you, though, to support those sponsors that we do have. So for those you who cannot remember quickly, Indochino is the made-to-measure suit company. They've been very good to us with the promo code LOCKED. You get 50% off. Blue Apron. We are a Blue Apron house now. Love it when the Blue Apron meals come. My kids have a good time cooking with my wife with it. My wife's done a nice job on days where she's crazy busy. It's so nice to come home and be able to put out a really, really nice meal with fresh ingredients and know uh, that you're getting a good meal. That's already not have to worry about going to shopping or any of those things. So Blue Apron and the promo code on that's a little different. It's L-O-C-K-N-B-A. Then, of course, Dell Computers got the great 40% off all printers. So that's Dell.com slash NBA. And Warby Parker, the great... Uh, company with the sunglasses and prescription glasses. Do the five uh, sunglasses try-on at home for free at warbyparker.com slash locked. All right, let's get it rolling with Zach. All right, well, we'll have you go first, and we'll start with Eastern Conference, and then we'll throw Pelton on the backside as either the cleanup hitter or the ninth hitter, depending on how you look at him. I think the the five-hole hitter. Like can t- he's he's great. He can you know maybe not the exact power guy you want, but he'll he'll clean up whatever the cleanup hitter couldn't take off the bases. Yeah, I think he's much more Ozzy Smith, all defense, no okay. offense, and hits ninth. And then at the key moment, like Jacks, Tom Needenfuer. Oh wait, did I mention a Dodger loss? I'm happy now. Um, out of the yard. <laughs> but actually, now I think about it, Pelton would rather be Omar Vizquel. Since all things relate to the Mariners, and all things relate to the Mariners trading really good players who have then gone to have Hall of Fame careers elsewhere. All right. Uh, cheap shot. Let's go to the playoffs. Uh, let's start with a very traditional question, but if you look at the Eastern Conference, is there a matchup there that you think um, can pull up, be an upset? I think this is going to end up probably sounding stupid in about a week, but uh, is it crazy to say Bulls over Celtics? Well, only because Dwayne Wade's playing. Yeah, I mean, that does kind of hurt their chances. Um, I feel like they've Mr. Magooed their way into the eighth seed this year. They haven't really earned it. They kind of got it by default. They got it because the Miami Heat started 11-30. and 30. I don't even think Bulls fans wanted to see their team in the playoffs this year. I think they'd rather see the, the Miami Heat team. But if you get into tight games, and that's the tricky part for the Bulls is keeping everything into a tight game. But if you get into a tight game, they're always going to have that trump card of, they can just put Jimmy Butler on Isaiah Thomas in the fourth quarter. And what do, what do the Celtics do? I mean, I really think that's a matchup problem that the Celtics haven't been able to 
figure out in their last two years. Now, they're a better team than their last two years in the playoffs, but that, that's still something where you have a 5-7 guy try to lead you to victories, and if it's a tight game, I think that's a problem. No, there's a real, and, and there's still a real question mark about Isaiah Thomas as a playoff player. I mean, it's maybe it's too simplistic to, to throw that out there. So let's go to this. He, Boston's uniqueness is their ability to get the threes off, the fact that they can, they're going to go five wide on you, or, you know, almost like think about it from a football standpoint, five, five wide receivers spread out. They're going to play you all outside. They're going to drive and penetrate. Do the Bulls have the personnel to be able to handle Horford out there and handle them playing that style of basketball with their penetration? I mean, probably not, because you do have to play – guys like Nikola Miritich, right? I mean, that, that's the, that's kind of the issue is that their defense, um, their defense seems to have success almost by default. And, and if the, if the Celtics are hitting shots, then that's going to be, that's going to be something they can't really solve. But where I like them is that the Celtics are a very poor rebounding team with Al Horford on the floor and the Bulls just crash the glass constantly. So if they can get Robin Lopez to, to win that matchup or even neutralize that Al Horford matchup, which I don't think is a crazy thing to ask him to do, uh, you know, maybe that balance maybe that balances things in their favor a little bit. The Bulls defense went took an exodus in the middle about game fifty one to sixty and and looked a lot like the Lakers. And then from game sixty one on were really quite good. In fact, they were great in the final few games. Uh, those blowout wins skew numbers. But even if you just kind of break down, they were they were pretty they're one oh three ish from 61 to 80. Is there any reason to believe that they have actually become a defensive team and they're better in that regard? Is there anything you see that makes you believe that? I mean, Lopez can end possessions and he's a solid, he's a solid positional defender, right? Great in help defense. Uh, Jimmy Butler is just a monster on defense. It's, can you get Dwayne Wade to play defense and do any of those point guards give you consistent resistance at the top of, at the top of whatever they're trying to, you know, to really stop. That's the question. I think they can have, I think they can have defensive minded units, but I think those units usually end up, you know, just being a disaster on offense. And so finding the right balance between being a defensive team or being an offensive team, that's just, I mean, they've struggled with that in two years with Fred Hoiberg. And I don't know that there's any reason to think he's going to figure that out against the Celtics defense. I, um, you know, I do want to commend Dwayne Wade because uh, in the Bo- Celtics' 100 to 80 win over Boston this year, Dwayne was only minus 37 in that game. Oh, I mean, that's basically you know you round down. That's a minus 35. You're on your right. way to zero. Right, right. I mean, you're getting close. I mean, you you look at some of their games this year. I mean, Boston beats them 100 to 80. Right. It's not as though, um, you know. It, you know, you look at the they they did beat Boston one hundred four one hundred three midway through the season. But I kind of go back to what we're talking about here. I, I think Lopez is very much vital to them. I I buy your argument that um, that the, if it gets late and they can get in that position, and you have Jimmy Butler. I, I do I do kind of feel I'm with you. I guess what I'm saying in those kind of if it's close late, but I don't I don't see how they defend Boston. Robin Lopez out of twenty three feet takes away every value of of what he is, and that's what Boston's going to do to him. Yeah, absolutely. And, and plus, I mean, you can't have Jimmy on Isaiah Thomas for the entire game, right? Like, those have to be kind of switch-ups that you do in key stretches. And so who is going to be that guy to slow down Isaiah Thomas if he can be even close to the player he was during the regular season? Do the Bulls have anybody who can do that? You know, maybe Jerry and Grant, maybe. That seems optimistic, to say the least, to think that that's going to happen. Uh, and, and if they're, and if, you know, if Avery Bradley can hit shots, if uh, Jay Crowder hits shots, I mean, I just don't know the Bulls have the firepower. Right, and you just said the one thing. The one thing that's kind of, I think, out there on Boston right now that if you're gonna if you're gonna try to find a concern on Boston, they shoot some of the most threes in the league, and they stop making them. You know, from for the last twenty games, they're shooting about thirty three point eight percent from three. They they for whatever reason. Uh, they just stopped making them. They take, still taking 34 a game, which is a tremendous amount. And all of a sudden, their season average, they're 14th in the league, and recently they're 21st in the league over the last 20 games, and they're less good over the last 15. So that would be the one area where, you know, hey, if they don't make sh- – it's a make-or-miss league. If you don't make shots, you don't do it. All right, Indiana-Cleveland, uh, wow, two of the teams that just you cannot get a vibe on at all. Indiana, you could not understand for – they have not been – 
the same team for more than four days in a row at any point all season. In Cleveland, we still have no idea when they're going to click in. Um, Paul George, LeBron James will be simply awesome to watch. That's the good news here. Yeah, that's fun. And, and you get Lance Stevenson trying to aggravate LeBron. You know, it's a nice little throwback to, to a couple of years ago. So that'll, that could yield some, some entertainment value. But I just don't know what to think about this Pacers team. Even with all of the questions and the cloudiness surrounding the Cleveland Cavaliers and the possible Khloe Kardashian effect on Tristan Thompson and all this stuff, all the things you want to mix in, this Pacers team just doesn't seem to know what they are. And I don't know that they're a good offensive team. They're probably pretty good defensively. They have pieces to run, but they don't really run, but they don't really play all that slow. But when they do play slow, they're not all that great. Like they really need Paul George to, to match everything LeBron's doing. But then can Jeff Teague match what Kyrie does? Can Miles Turner match what Tristan or Kevin Love do? Would you, you know, is, is anyone going to shoot with J.R. Smith from the Pacers side? You know, I just don't know that they can slow down Cleveland's offense. And if you can't do that, it, it may not matter how bad Cleveland's defense is because their offense is so potent. All right, here's what's interesting about the Pacers, and I know Nate McMillan well, and I think there's some, and I don't know if this is good or bad, but I think that they have changed who they are, and everyone's missed it. If you look at their month, if you look at their month by month pace, okay, let me tell you, Nate McMillan wants to call every play and be a slowdown coach. That's what he was in Portland. That's what he was in Seattle, and they told him he had to run. And in November, they were tenth in the league in pace. In December, they were 6th in the league in pace. And in January, they were 14th in the league in pace. And then they became 26th in the league in pace in February, 24th in the league in pace in March. And in April, they are 25th. I think they are now a slow down, grind it out, half-court execution team who in the last 15 games is actually the fourth best offense in the NBA statistically. I'm not sure that that's, you know, there's so many weird things late in the season if you're playing teams that are trying or aren't trying. But it's at least worth worth noting that they're going to play this slow kind of grind it game. I think that's who they are. Um, It led to their four-game losing streak and it led to their five-game win streak to end the season. But that's who at least I think they are. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. Like, that sounds like a Nate McMillan team in terms of the style of play, right? But I just, I don't buy the offense being sustainable. And, and I don't know that there, I just don't know that there is another weapon on that team to help Paul George enough. And so may, maybe Lance is that guy. Lance has looked pretty impactful since rejoining the Pacers. And he was actually pretty decent in his two 10 day contracts before he injured his ankle with the, the Timberwolves. So, like, maybe Lance is, is a thing, but, you really need Jeff Teague to be good. And there's been this, like, internet idea of, oh, oh, playoff Teague. Playoff Teague isn't really a thing. Like, he's not that good in the playoffs. <laughs> he, had a couple of, he had a couple of good moments early on in his Hawks career, and that's it. Like, he's not that good. And so what, you're going to rely on, on C.J. Miles or Monte Ellis to shoot with J.R. Smith and, and Richard Jefferson? Like, I just don't know how, I don't know how they put up enough points, uh, and especially if, if the Cavaliers can dictate the pace, and we know that they – you know, Ty- Tyron Lue wants to move the ball and push the ball as much as possible. I think you can trick them into more of an ISO-heavy game, and then maybe that's how you, you trick them into slowing things down. But if the, if the Cavs run at all, I just think this Pacers team is, is not long for anything. Well, it's interesting. They played early in the year, and you kind of want to look at that game to see what you could find out about it. And, of course, LeBron didn't play in that game, so there's no reference point to that. <laughs> Jeff Teague sprained his ankle in the last game, so it's hard to tell you know, whether or not he's going to be all right, uh, and if he is. And, and the only other game you look at that has any relevance to it is a 113-114 win. Uh, LeBron, you know, LeBron has blown up Indiana in the games he's played against him, so that, that at least might be fun to watch. All right, moving to Milwaukee at Toronto. Do we have to? No, that's not fair. Uh, that is like the end. No, 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 like, it, I actually like. I actually think it's fun. We're basketball junkies, but let's just be honest. When there's five game, when you have a five games that have been announced in your series, and three of the five are already destined to NBA TV, it's very clear what the country thinks of this series. Yeah, I mean, the country's never really been behind the Raptors unless Vince Carter's involved, right? Uh, this is uh, that's a tough market for people to end up caring about. Um, but if you know, I'm I'm interested by the potential of the Raptors team because if Kyle Lowry gets back to 100, percent you know the additions of PJ Tucker, the addition of of Serge Ibaka, the way Demar Derozan's played, um, they do seem to have just a lot of weapons that they can throw at 
the elite team in the East. At the same time, I do think they'll have problems with Milwaukee because Milwaukee has gone through stretches where they're a really good offensive team, like a top 10 offensive team. They've gone through stretches where they've been, you know, they picked it up defensively. Even without Jabari Parker, I still think they can score pretty efficiently. Uh, Chris Middleton's obviously awesome. And they've got guys who can kind of just hit you in random spots. Like Matthew Delva Dova can, can hit threes. It always surprised people are always surprised when they say, Hey, Delva Dova can't shoot. And I respond with, no, he's a really good shooter. And they say, no, there's no way. And I say, he's a 38% career three point shooter on like 700 attempts. Like the guy can shoot. It just doesn't, it just as, as the great Miles Brown once said, it looks like he's jumping out of a cake when he shoots a three. Like that's his shooting form. And so, and so that's why it looks bad, but it goes in. And Greg Monroe has been excellent in his role this year, and I am not a Greg Monroe guy, but he's been really fun uh, as that kind of six-man, big man for the Bucks. And then just, you know, Giannis. Like, Giannis, Giannis is the best player on the court in that series, right? Kyle Lowry might be the best player on this court. Is he going to be healthy enough to be the best player? Sure. He's been all right since he's been back, hasn't he? He wasn't healthy last year in the playoffs. Yeah, he's been, fi- he's been fine. He's just not, you know, I mean, he was – he was mimicking some Steph Curry stuff early early in the season. He's just not back to that point. I'll tell you, I, I don't have a great confidence in uh, Jason Kidd would be one element here. Um, I'm going to throw a kind of really deep number here. Milwaukee allows 10.5% of all opponent's shots as corner threes. Like, I know that probably sounds weird. The league average is 7.5. They're the next, yeah. there's not another team within a percentage and a half of them. Like, that's a major defensive flaw to who you are. And as you play them in a series, Toronto, who takes the eighth most amount of corner threes of any team in the league, I think is going to be able to get there. And I just think that's a fundamental matchup problem. The other thing is, I'm a big believer in first 20, 30 games of the season are much better indicator than the last 20, 30 games of the season. And Toronto was great. And I think they might be that good. And then I think they're the one team that got a lot better at the trade deadline. I really like Toronto a lot, actually. Yeah, I mean, they gave up what? Essentially, Terrence Ross for Serge Ibaka? Like, that's and, a great well, and added P.J. Tucker, who might be better than Terrence Ross. Yeah, exactly. Oh, PJ, I would take P.J. Tucker in a playoff series over Terrence Ross for sure. I mean, you're, you're not getting that potential for high-volume scoring, but you're getting that corner three-point shooting, like you, say, like you say, and you're getting – a defense who can really like guard two through four pretty, pretty well. And so those matchups, it'll be interesting to see who they throw at Giannis and who they help with uh, for Giannis because um, the Raptors do seem to have a very versatile style of basketball. Like they can, they can go big, they can go small. I think they can throw a lot that confuses, uh, you know, kind of a younger Bucks core. I do just think though that, I, you know, maybe I'm maybe I'm being biased because of what we saw the Bucks do a couple years ago against the Bulls, and this Raptors this Raptors team is a lot better than that Bulls team. But they went deep into into a series um, with a, a much worse team. I think the Bucks can be scrappy enough to steal a couple of games. No one's going to watch them because, like you said, they're on NBA TV. But I think they'll steal a couple of games and make this a longer series than it should be. Do we know if y- playoff Giannis is any good? We don't. Um, we don't know if he's any good. So he maybe shot, we should be judging him sort of, he shot 30, sort of on how we're judging Isaiah Thomas, right? He shot 36% in the one playoff series he's ever played. And I think yeah. his – and I'm a big – but and let's – and Giannis this year from 10 to 15, 16 feet shot 33%. And from 16 to th- feet to 3 shot 34%. And shot 27% from 3, I think. So he's a 71% shooter at the rim – and he is awesome, so he takes 50% of his shots at the rim until an entire team has a defensive game plan for you for six games in a row. Well, here's the problem is I don't think he'll settle for jumpers. That's where I think – I mean, I think he – and I think the problem with playing off of him is now you've given him room to get those long strides in. And so, no, he's not like – he's not bodying you out of the way by, by turning his shoulder on your shoulder and getting by you that way. He's just coming at you in a way – that you, you can't really you can't really plan for and you can't really prepare for because he can score from so many different angles attacking. So I actually think it's a mistake to play off him because then you're just giving him more room to find that angle. I think it's a help defense thing, and I think I th- unless they start shooting more threes, I mean they're one of the lowest three point teams of shooting threes in the league. I, I think he struggles. 
I think Gian, I think I think we're I think we're having unfair discussions on Giannis. By the time we maybe not, you know, I mean, I watched him drop thirty three and be totally awesome one game, and I watched him go two of ten in another this year. So I guess it depends which one I watch, you know, which one you see in person. Uh, I'll take Toronto yeah, decently and, and in that I, series. I, I would also say too on that is is how much does he decide to be an attacker and how much does he decide to be a distributor and how much, if he is a distributor, how much can his teammates help him? Because that will, that will determine where the help defense goes. In the series that evidently ESPN hates, because they don't, it's the only series where they don't have a game, um, Atlanta at Washington. Do we have any idea what Atlanta is? Uh, I found out, I, I was reminded yesterday that they have Irsan Ilyasova and Jose Calderon on the team. Oh, that's so, that's a neat thing. That's a neat thing to know. I don't know what value it has, but it's nice to know. <laughs> I don't know what value it has either. But it, but this it's a weird it's a weird group. Like Paul Millsap is really good, and uh, and Dennis Schroeder has been intriguing at times, and Dwight Howard has been solid at times. Um, but they don't really seem to know what they want to do. Like this isn't anything close to the team we saw a couple of years ago. And if Washington can play any kind of defense, they should sweep the Hawks. Okay, answer this one for me. Ooh, that's interesting. Sweep the Hawks. So Bradley Beal, Marcin Gortat, Markeith Morris, Otto Porter, and John Wall, their starting lineup. They have played 500 minutes more than any other five-man lineup in the NBA. That's a lot. Right? So they've played 1,347 minutes, and Minnesota, actually the lineup with Levine, is second with 880 and by the way, the Clippers, for everyone talking about their injuries, their starting lineup is third most played in the NBA this year, plus 16 when they're on the floor. Clippers might be great. It's a discussion for our next topic. Um, but so they, their starting lineup has played 500 more minutes than anyone else. Does that mean that they're likely to be less good in the playoffs because they're already playing their group more or the fact that they actually are pretty good plus eight and Scott Brooks just amps that up a little bit more and suddenly they play 35, 36 minutes a night and he plays even less of his bench and their starters are really good. Do you think when I give you that note, does that make you think they're more potent or less potent in the playoffs? It makes me think they're more potent because I think it it lends itself to being a shorter rotation, right? Like they've already prepared themselves for a short, short rotation in the playoffs. This group is good together. They were good together last year after they acquired Morris. They're better this year, I believe. Um, and I think that you don't really – like uh, their bench is pretty iffy in the first place, especially Jan Nahimi probably not starting the series now uh, because of an injury. And so if you can rely on those guys for 30, 32, 35 minutes a game and feel comfortable in that, which I think Brooks does – I think that's an advantage because they know who they are. They've also, this was, I checked this back when the Wizards played the Jazz, but they've been really good with the dual point guard lineup of, of Wall and Jennings. So I think that's also something to look up where they can really push the tempo and, and get a defense on their heels by playing those two together. I, I was stunned when you just said it's a sweep, and then I started to think about it a little bit, and maybe this is really unfair and someone's going to be mad at me for this, but, okay, John Wall's a lot better than Dennis Schroeder, right? Yeah. Um, Marcin Gortat and Dwight Howard are a wash, or I might think, Gortat, I might think that Gortat is better. I, Bradley Beal is better. Otto Porter is better. So Paul Millsap's better than Markeith Morris, Right. Right. I mean, at some point, if you're just bigger, better, and stronger at four out of five positions, you win the series, right? Easily. Yeah, and that's why I think, like, any level – like, the Wizards have been pretty shaky through a lot of stretches defensively this year. But if they, are any, if they play any kind of defense, I, don't, I just don't see how Atlanta has an answer for them. Right. All right, let's go to the West. Uh, uh, and we, I, we don't need to – do we want to – do you want to discuss any quick – do you think anyone beats Cleveland in the final? Just overall, East, do you still have Cleveland as your favorite? Do you think they're vulnerable? No, I, yeah, I'd still go with Cleveland. I'm intrigued by the Toronto matchup if it happens, but uh, but it's probably it's probably Cleveland. So you're with me though that I have. If anyone's beating Cleveland, I think it's Toronto. I think the Serge Ibaka. I think they're just. I think Toronto's really good. And I just went, yeah, and I think they're prepared. I think they're. I think they match up really well. Uh, I don't think Boston has a real chance, and I don't think Washington has a real chance. Yeah, Boston's got. I mean, like unless Boston shooting changes, right? And they say three point shooting's variable, so right. who knows? All right, let's go to the West. Uh, let's start with the Clippers and the Jazz. It's obviously what I'm digging into. It's what I know well. I think it's the most fascinating series there is because, as I kind of alluded to earlier, 
I think both these teams are considerably better than anyone realizes either of them are. I agree. I would take both teams in a series against the Spurs. And how about against and the Rockets? And how and about not really and not feel uneasy about it? How about against the Rockets? Um. Yeah, I think I would take both of them. I think it would be I think it'd be a tough series, but I think I would take both of them just because I'm still not sold on this Rockets defense. I mean, this might be the second and third best teams in the Western Conference playing each other right now. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I you know, and and they match up. It, I, it's going to be just from a basketball standpoint. Like obviously, you have the Harden Westbrook narrative for MVP and all that stuff, and that's going to dominate a lot of the first round. But in terms of just the pure basketball, the match, the adjustments, this will be the best series. Well, there's so many. Easily. All right, so let me just back up for those who haven't followed these teams all year. When George Hill starts. The Jazz are 33 and 6, which is a 55 win team. When Hill and Hayward are actually start together, which only happened 40 times all year, they're 28 and 12, which marks them as a 58 win team. And if you start to eliminate all the guys they played because of the injuries, Alec Burks, Dante Axum, Trey Lyles, Jeff Withy, then the Jazz have almost no combinations that go on the floor that are negative other than Boris Diaw and Joe Johnson, which I just don't think we'll ever see on the floor together ever again, um, hopefully. So then you flip it over the other side, and we I believe, you know, one is we t- the starting lineup of the Clippers, starting lineup is the only lineups in the NBA that have played over 250. There's only one lineup that's played over 250 minutes this year that's better than the Clippers, and that is... Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Kevin Durant, Draymond Green, and Zaza Pachulia. They're just in a stupid, by the way. People seem to have missed this. Plus 23 per 100 possessions when they're on the floor. <laughs> That's absurd. Plus 23. Like, somebody tweeted out 4444. I'm actually not sure. That's crazy. Um, I'm back into my Warriors are historically great mode. But the Clippers have the second-best five-man group on the floor with Chris Paul, J.J. Redick, Blake Griffin, DeAndre Jordan, and Bob Mute. Like, that's – they're great. And they – and I also believe that you – sorry to go on such a long monologue here – that you go look at the first 20 games of the NBA season if you're going to evaluate what teams are going to do in the playoffs. Do not get caught looking at the last 20 games of the season. You'll make mistakes. They were great to open the year. I mean Great. So I, I think the Clippers they were terrific. They were the second best defense in the league. I mean, they were. I mean, they were destroying everybody. The only question is an off-court issue with the Clippers, which is: is there any point where the previous playoff scars enter into their psyche? Yeah, I mean, I think like I, you know they've talked about this in the past of of there is that mental hurdle of just getting through the regular season to get back to the point to prove that these random playoff losses aren't a trend. And, and, that, and if something starts to go wrong in game one or game two or game five or whatever, I don't know how that can't creep back into your head with, with their history, especially their history as this core. It's just asking a lot mentally from even professional athletes to, to not let that, not let that at least enter your mind. And, and, and I think their bench is shaky. You know, Austin Rivers, I don't think is 100% right now. He's actually been kind of a, uh, a as killer so far. I, Jamal Crawford has been surprisingly really efficient, especially the last like month or so. Um, they have some firepower on their bench. I don't think they have the depth to, to battle Utah, but I also think if they're able to play that starting lineup, you know, 30 to 35 minutes a game, they won't have to. That, four through nine in this series is advantage Utah. Maybe five through nine. Yeah. It can can does that, but that doesn't win a playoff series, does it? Not usually. It's usually you know, do you have the best player? Do you have the best two players? And as good as Rudy has been this year, and as good as Gordon has been this year, I think you, I think most people would say Blake and Chris Paul are the best two players in the series, uh, just in terms of basketball talent, impact on the floor, and everything. Um, and maybe that throws a little too much too much of a dismissive attitude towards what Rudy's done and what Gordon's done this year. But those two are still incredible basketball players for the Clippers. They have so many ways that they can hurt you, and they're, and they're so good at distributing to everybody else. And uh, I wrote this like a week or two ago, but since joining the Clippers, J.J. Redick is 
a historic 44% three-point shooter on 1,500-plus attempts. Like you just can't – you just flat out can't let him touch the ball if you're, if you're the Jazz. You know, that – and even what makes him a bigger deal is – and I don't – this isn't talked about very much, but playoff Jamal Crawford's not very good. No, it's not. I mean, especially not the last two years. 23% the last two years. But if you take even the last four years, uh, he's not – it's about – it's somewhere in the range of about 29, 25, 28, 29%. So yeah. that, that's, that's an issue. That, the Austin, here's a sentence that people never thought we'd say. The Austin Rivers injury is big. Right, in a, in a bad way for the Clippers. Right. Big in a bad way because he's, he's a really solid defender, and he gives, he gives the Jazz fits in terms of his scoring. Like he, can, he can score on this team. Um, I, you know, I, I, there's a big difference between going from Jamal and Austin to going to Jamal and, and Ray Felton a lot. The uh, one question I have for you on the Clippers, and then we'll get to the other series because I don't want to short shift them, uh, is they play the same way every time, right? Chris Paul bringing the ball up the floor, pounding the ball, working those possessions, right? Chris. Do you think there's any reason that they is that they might fade as the playoff series goes? Because that that you've seen it so many times by that point. I think so, and I think I think it's something where you get to the playoff time. I think they should play through Blake Griffin more, simply because one that Jazz lineup where they put Joe Johnson at the four and they've got Gordon and Rodney and George and Rudy in there with them. That Jazz lineup kills, right? Like I don't know if they played last night, but go. I think going into last night they were like plus twenty eight for one hundred possession. I mean, just just kill. And if you run that against the Clippers, well, you're forcing Joe Johnson to guard Blake Griffin, which I think he can do a little bit, but that puts a lot of pressure on the Jazz defense. And that, if you're having Blake Griffin run, you know, the offense run through him, and then he is passing out to Chris Paul, who is making the decision off the catch on a closeout from a Jazz defender, I just think that's murder. I, I, like, I just think, I don't think there's much you can do to, to stop that. So that's why I think they should run things more through Blake Griffin, just because Chris Paul is a secondary option. I don't know how you stop that. Who do you have in this series? Um, I'm going to go jazz in six, but I, there is a, so Andrew Hahn, who's a great, great Clippers mind, uh, editor for ESPN. He has gotten in my head about this series where he thinks it's, it's Clippers in five, but he thinks five really close tight games. His argument is he thinks the Clippers will execute in the, in crunch time when, when maybe the Jazz won't. Um, so that is really playing with my head. But I said Clippers and six on his podcast. I'm going to stick with – or I said Jazz and six on, in his podcast. I'm going to stick with Jazz and six just to be just to be even across the board. I'm going to try to pull this up really quickly. It's not completely up to date because I have not finished my prep yet. But – and, of course, it's not in my prep where I thought it was. Blake Griffin has been terrible in the clutch this year. I don't have the yeah, exact numbers. Like 27% or something crazy. All right. Uh, Memphis, San Antonio. Any thoughts on that one? Um, I mean, By the I way, they don't have it. That game, that series is not on NBA TV. I just want to point that out. Uh, that's, the, that's the biggest upset so far. <laughs> that's right. Of, of the season. Yes. That that's not on NBA TV. <laughs> yes. um, they, they, the, the Spurs do worry me because I don't think their backcourt is very good and they're not going to play all that much defense. I think Mike Conley can really wreak havoc on that, but um, you know Kawhi Leonard is the best guy in the series, and and I think the they'll put him away in five or six. So a little mojo in that series if Memphis starts playing well, you never know. And Pop's teams yeah. have, I do believe I've said this before, we've talked about it that the system of the Spurs means they're better in the regular season than they've been in the playoffs. Sometimes that means they're better and they still win the title, but it also means that they have dropped playoff series at a high rate when they're the high when they're the better seed. Uh, Portland at Golden State. Uh, that number I gave earlier is all I need to know. I mean, I think it's Portland's going to – is not – you know, someone said to me it was really close to Portland, and he – you know, he, really close to Portland, said that they're not scared of him anymore. So that probably has some impact, but I, I just – there's a talent difference here, right? Yeah, I think there there may be a game where, where the Warriors don't take them seriously and Dame and McCollum go nuts and, and steal a game. So, it, it, like, I'm not fully expecting a sweep. Uh, and I think there were a lot of smoke and mirrors with the Nurkic kind of renaissance once he went to Portland because it seemed to be very dependent on Vonley playing alongside Nurkic. So not having, mm. not having use of Nurkic were, will lessen everything that Portland can do in the series. But, yeah, like it's not going more than five games. 
Uh, let's get to the most fun series of them all, Houston and Oklahoma City. I think this is the this is the most entertaining series. I think the Utah-LA series is interesting just because we don't know how good either of those teams are and we don't know if the scars of Houston, excuse me, if the Clippers kick in. But Houston-Oklahoma City, this, this is really an interesting series. What also gets interesting is that Houston hasn't played defense since March 1st. And they haven't had to. And the question is, do they actually have that in them? And And then... I don't know. There's a lot to this. This one, I, I, I'll stop. The other one that jumps out to me, I'll just finish it, is in a seven-game playoff series, if it gets that far, two teams that just are so singularly one-player dominated, it's very contrary to what's worked in the playoffs recently. Yeah, it is. And, um, you know, there's there was a math problem last year with the Thunder when they had Kevin Durant in terms of just trading threes for twos all the time. Now you've lost Kevin Durant. And, sure, you added Doug McDermott. Great. But you still don't have, and Victor Oladipo has been a nice shooter. But you still don't have, you still don't have that that math problem solved. And so, as good as OKC can be defensively, can they stop the the Rockets from really just bombarding them with threes and and making that three greater than two issue uh, even you know extrapolated even more? And if they can't do that, and it, and you know I wrote about this a, a while back, but the Rockets, it really just seems to be when they lose it's because they miss threes. It's not because like someone ran them off the line. They're not taking fewer threes. They're not taking more contested threes. They're just missing. So if they don't, if they, if they're not just missing in this series, what did the Thunder do to counteract that? I love the defensive lineup that the Thunder can throw out there with Westbrook, Oladipo, Robertson, Gibson, Grant, whoever. I mean, just, I love the defensive lineups that Billy Donovan has at his disposal. And he was great in the playoffs last year, right? In terms of, you know, adjustments to, to pop adjustments to the Warriors. You know, I, I thought he did a really good job in his first playoff stint. I don't know that that's something that we just assume will happen again, but he, he at least proved himself to be a pretty good game by game adjuster. Uh, the other one I would say that I think is worth just throwing out there about Oklahoma city. And I'm not, you guys get nervous every time you talk about OKC. You're going to throw shade on Russ. Here's their wins recently, okay? Minnesota, Denver, Memphis with Alcasol, Milwaukee. That's a good one. Uh, Orlando, Dallas, 76ers, Sacramento, Toronto without Lowry, Brooklyn, Utah without Gobert, San Antonio. I don't know who played in that game. I think they just beat him 102-92 off to check that. Jazz, legit win. Russ makes incredible play. New Orleans, Lakers, Knicks. Like, that's to all-star break. This is, you're, you've named almost nobody. That's to all-star break. I mean, they're, to, I think you deserve a lot of credit when you win every game you're supposed to, but it doesn't mean you're going to go win in the playoffs. Right. I mean, I guess the idea is, all right, they won the games they were supposed to. They feel maybe they feel like they're clicking because of it. Maybe there's a mental edge there for running off that kind of those kind of wins, even though it's against lesser opponents for the most part. So maybe that clicks. But you're right. I mean, they haven't really played anybody all that well, at least, and especially not in you know succession. Any worried about turnover Harden showing up? Yes, hundred um, percent. Just because Robertson is awesome, like he is an awesome defender. Uh, he he defends he defends Harden just about as well as anybody, um, even including Kawhi Leonard. Like he he gives them the opportunity to to stay home on shooters and not worry about you know, unless Harden can get him into foul trouble early. I think that's really the only counter that the Rockets have, and it, that forces James to force force passes that he normally wouldn't throw. And, and the Thunder can kind of jump on those passing lanes. Utah, I'm assuming, was your upset. How many games do the Warriors get to the finals? Ooh, all right. I'll say five in the first round, second round, five, third round, sweep. Woo. So we're going 14 games. Woo. I don't think anybody can play with them. The only thing they're, is, I mean, they're yeah. so good. Yeah, I think the Clippers are really good and could give them a heck of a series more if they could get some confidence, but they're so mentally done against them. There's no chance. Thank you very much, Zach Harper. Great fun. Always longer than we planned, but super fun to do it and uh, have a great day. Enjoy the playoffs. I'll see you often. Always a pleasure. Thank you.
And from Zach Harper, we move to your other favorite, Kevin Pelton, for a look at the Western Conference preview. This was recorded prior to the end of the regular season. But before we get to that, let me remind you to support our sponsors. Today's an unsponsored show because we just rolled it out there, Britt. SeatGeek with the promo code LOCKED gets you $20 back on your first purchase. Blue Apron, we are adoring the Blue Apron experience in our house. I, I cannot strongly suggest enough you're a worker and you don't have enough time or you just want to do something fun with the family or just it's it's super. Promo code is L-O-C-K-N-B-A. That's L-O-C-K. NBA. Warby Parker does super, super stuff with the home try on five glasses. We're big Warby Parker home. WarbyParker.com slash locked is your uh, promo code there. And also our other sponsor, Dell. Dell with their great printers. They surprisingly sent me one the other day. I was really excited about that. Dell.com slash NBA. That's Dell.com slash NBA. So thank you very much to our sponsors. And now here's Kevin Pelton. All right, Western Conference playoffs are fairly well set. Let's get your numbers thought on the various looks. So uh, as we record this, Portland's magic number is two. I think they'll get it. They'll play the Warriors. What's your thought on that series? First off, uh, I I like NBA coaches. I'm superstitious. This will probably jinx it, and now Denver will go, and I won't get the chance to come down and watch playoff games in Portland and watch the Warriors. Uh, I mean, first off, the Blazers need Yusuf Nurkic to have – any sort of matchup advantage against the Warriors. Uh, it'll be interesting to see Evan Turner's role in this series. You know, the Warriors, the Blazers brought him in, I think, largely because of their experience against the Warriors and how the Warriors were able to take away Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum, particularly when they were the only one of those two guys on the court. And so they wanted that secondary ball handler to be there, Andre Iguodala, to be able to run the offense while they brought Lillard and McCollum off screens, things like that. He actually played quite well against them in the one game he started. Uh, has not been as effective since he came back from his injury. Uh, so we'll, we'll see. He, he has been ramping up his minutes. We'll see whether he can play a key role for them. Durant has not played as of yet. Is there any the win streak that the Warriors are on right now uh, as we record this? Is that a is that who they are? Is this them getting to their legitimate point of the season? Have they actually been that good all year and they just happen to lose some games along the way? What's your feeling on how? Is this another historically great Warriors team? Oh yeah, I think mostly the first that they've been this good all along. Uh, you know the, they're their toughest stretch was right after Durant was injured and they had, you know, a terrible travel schedule, all that. And uh, before that, they were also still on pace to to be better than last year's Warriors in terms of point differential. All right. The uh, is there any, Do you have any concern on Warriors or do you think they just are going to walk through this whole conference? I mean, it's not easy to integrate you know, a top 10 player, top five player in the league oh, right gosh, on the eve awful. of the playoffs. Yeah, it's so look. awful. <laughs> yeah. God, <laughs> I could just have to integrate a top, top, the best offensive player in all of the NBA. That is the first worldiest of first yeah, world problems. Right. Hashtag but, screw you. <laughs> <laughs> From all other 29 teams in the NBA. But I'm sure it does It does uh, make Steve Kerr's nights a little more restless than they would be if Durant had been playing all along. Do you have any hypothesis of a style, a team, a, a a function that would cause the Warriors problems. Is there any? Is there any system or style or or personnel grouping? I'm not trying to say team, right? I mean, I still think it's you know you got to get them into close games, and they they haven't been that good there this year. I mean, I think that's more randomness than it is a skill, but. You know, they do have a tendency sometimes to bog down late in games because they don't run enough pick and roll. Uh, I think the interesting one I I think is. Multiple wing scorers so that they can't hide Steph. Right? So if you have three wing scorers and they're run, you're running some one, you know, some one, three, two, three, one, and two pick and rolls and it forces Steph to get on that guy, I think couple that with a little offensive rebounding capability, and I think that's the offensive script that is able to get to them. Not many teams have that. Yeah, I mean, Cleveland was able to do that during last year's finals, but Curry also was a shell of himself athletically at that point. Uh, San Antonio and Memphis, I don't actually know that they'll televise this series. Um, <laughs> will it be the same 4-0 sweep that it was a year ago when Memphis was crippled to the to the end of injuries at the end of the world? I mean, I think it'll probably be more competitive than that. The Grizzlies have played the Spurs decently well, and then, you know, these will be low-scoring grind affairs, which is what the, Spurs, what the Grizzlies rather want. So, you know, I, I think a series like that there's a few close games that could go either way, and that determines whether it's a long series or a short series. Make or miss league? 
We could say that to any of these matchups. Yes, but does Memphis actually have enough makers? They're they're more make or miss or miss. (laughs) Uh, Houston, Oklahoma City. It's going to be pretty awesome. It is. Which just, I'm not going to lead you any direction. What's your take on that series? Well, I think it's an interesting series because Andre Robertson has done a really nice job defensively against James Harden. And, you know, the Rockets are, or the Thunder are sort of in a similar, they're, they're in probably a worse situation than what you talked about the Warriors, where mul- teams with multiple wing scores become a problem for them. But if it's one guy and Robertson can shut that guy down, that's a good scenario for them. Uh, ultimately, you know, the, the Rockets in the playoffs, it's basically going to come down to how many shots, how many threes are they going to make? They have the highest upside relative to their overall ability of any team and then probably also the lowest downside. The other thing here is how much will the Thunder extend the minutes of their starters? Westbrook doesn't play that many minutes, even though he plays every game. You know, He's only at like 33, 34 a night. Uh, if he gets up to 40 in the playoffs and if you take those minutes away from Samaje Christian and give them to Westbrook, that, that could be interesting. And they have a little more depth around. Uh, uh, they have some lineups that they can play with. I'm going to probably miss this because I'm going to miss a player. But they have a lineup of Westbrook, Oladipo, Robertson, Grant, and then whatever, I guess, Stephen Adams. Mm-hmm. It's a pretty incredible athletic defensive lineup they can throw out there that I would think would cause some teams some real problems. Now, on the, I guess on the other end, you're just hoping that Russell goes bananas because you don't have a lot of floor spacing or any shooters in that group. About better floor spacing, certainly, than you have when Grant is that small forward. So do you buy that Billy Donovan has the roster versatility to be able to impact things in a playoff series? And it- Maybe. I mean, I, I certainly would pick the Rockets in that series. Heck, you go Taj Gibson instead of Grant at that power forward. And you're True. Pretty yeah. good Which now that's that's their starting lineup. Right. So now you're right. Now that's so they they can really put out 48 minutes of good defensive lineups, depending what they do with Cantor. Yes. The question is whether you can get 48 minutes of shooting. <laughs> or any minute. Is there anything about Russell and Harden that in a seven-game playoff series struggle because people are staring, people are used to seeing them every minute at that point? Hmm. I, I mean, Harden necess- hasn't necessarily been great in the playoffs, but I think that's more about matching up with Golden State and how good their defense is. Uh, Westbrook, you know, we haven't really seen him in this scenario because they didn't make the playoffs the year Durant was injured. I, it's Rest would seemingly help both those guys. Yes, having a day off between every game works or to their benefit. Three days off the way they did yes. last mm-hmm. year. Uh, all right, Clippers, Jazz. We don't know where it'll be played. There's obviously still a chance as we record this, but it's not going to happen that Oklahoma City ends up playing that series. But I don't think so. Uh, this is this is interesting because the Jazz have not played the Clippers well. How much does regular season matchups? actually an indicator of what happens in the playoffs it's actually a better indicator than you might think given everything that i normally preach about the importance of sample size and everything like that um you know i don't i'm not sure what like the relative percentage breakdown is of is you're trying to predict a series like home court uh regular season overall performance and then head to head but it it is an important factor of those three how about playoff experience as a factor it's it's tends to be overstated, I think, a little bit, but it is it is a factor. The Jazz have struggled defensively against teams that have a stretch five, so Gasol, Carl Anthony Towns, Al Horford. That is not going to be a problem for them <laughs> with the Clippers, which is a nice thing for them. It actually, it's the interesting thing to me is that the Clippers on paper are a fabulous matchup for the Jazz and a terrible matchup on the court so far this year. Yeah, from that standpoint. I mean, most Spates obviously does give them some stretching, but uh, I, I, as I recall, the Jazz went on a big run as soon as he came in for DeAndre Jordan. most Spates the better for Utah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, DeAndre Jordan's obviously just a much better player overall. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, you've talked a lot about why you think this is a bad matchup for them, and probably I'd be parodying those points if I said it. Well, that's right. I haven't said it on this. I'll t- should I tell you others? I think it's a good matchup. Okay. Because the Clippers can't space the floor, so Gobert can stay near the rim. Uh, because for them to guard Gordon Hayward, they have to keep Mbamute on the floor, or else Austin Rivers is on the floor. And so then that makes their spacing even less good. Uh, so I actually think on paper, I look at this matchup, and I say to myself, oh, this like worked... E- the Jazz exploit every single one of the Clippers' weaknesses. 
I've told you this earlier, but uh, I listened to a podcast a few weeks ago, right before that Clippers Jazz matchup, where. Uh, someone, a group of people were talking about why this was such a bad matchup for the Jazz, and they didn't think that they could win, they would pick them in that series, even if they had home court. And then I listened to a podcast. I, I know this one. It was Bill Simmons, who follows the Clippers very closely as a season tick holder, and he was saying how broken the Clippers are, and he can't see them winning a playoff series no matter what. And I listened to both of those back-to-back as I was driving down to Portland one day for a game, and they both sounded really convincing to me. And you know, uh, one of my favorite phrases is, everything's obvious after it happens. And I think after we know the result of this series, it's going to seem like it had been obvious the whole time. I will say the internal stuff we cannot see about the Clippers is the most fascinating story to me of the playoffs. It is the most fascinating story to me. Are they together? Are they going into this playoffs as one last grandstand? Are they actually dysfunctional and they don't give a crap if they have one last great stand? I'm mesmerized by where they, if they go down 2-1, are they going to suddenly, oh my gosh, we've got to save this because they know if they lose in the first round, it's over? Uh, I have, I am, I think they're a fascinating chemistry question, and to your point, that we'll all decide that answer afterwards. Uh, the one thing I do believe in is the here we go again feeling is a powerful thing. So if in that series, I think that the early games will be important for the Jazz. All right, that's a quick little playoff preview with Kevin Pelton. Hope you enjoyed. And a thank you as well to Zach Harper of Fan Rag Sports. Dot com fan rag sports. All right. Now I ask you to go do one of three things. One, leave us a happy review about how much you like this program. Thank you very much for tuning in. Two, subscribe to your local favorite NBA teams daily podcast on the Lockdown Podcast Network. And three, feel free to s- please support some of our sponsors. Indochino.com, promo code locked. SeatGeek, $20 rebate, promo code locked. Blue Apron, L-O-C-K-N-B-A, three meals for free. Also, Mother's Day's coming up, and we've got all sorts of special deals for that. Dell helps you out at dell.com slash NBA and warbyparker.com slash locked. Thanks to all of our sponsors. Thanks to Zach Harper and Kevin Pelton. If you get a chance to send them thank yous at Talk Hoops and at K Pelton, I'd greatly appreciate it.